Welcome to Community Talk with Tommy and our season finale. In today's episode, we do something a little different. Tommy sits down with his producers, myself, Hillary Wallace, Justin Silva, and Austin Roberts. But instead of being the interviewer, Tommy becomes the interviewee. In 2010, Tommy Letchworth graduated from the San Francisco School of Arts and promptly moved to Ashland to attend Southern Oregon University and major in theater, for which he has a great love. He soon took a class called Power in Politics and changed his major to political science, having discovered a newfound passion for the study of government, law, and political organizing. He became deeply involved in on-campus organizations and an active member of Southern Oregon University and subsequently the Ashland community. When he graduated in 2014, he stuck around because he fell in love with Ashland and the community of Southern Oregon. In 2017, Tommy co-founded an industrial hemp farm, which he continues to own and operate to this day. In addition to being a small business owner, Tommy is a trained violinist, actor, orator, and more recently, podcast host. All season long, we have listened to Tommy research, interview, and share stories of those affected by the Alameda fire and those working to make a difference in this community. He has firsthand experience with both aspects. Tommy was personally impacted by the fire and over the last few months has worked actively to raise awareness of the impacts of the fire, resources available for those in need, and the opportunities for the community to get involved through this very podcast. I'm excited for him to share his story and all he has learned throughout this journey. So I happily introduce you to our host, Tommy Letchworth. Okay, Tommy, what brought you to the Rogue Valley? Uh, yeah, so I was born and raised in San Francisco, California. Uh, and both my parents are, uh, very involved in the art scene. They're actors, artists, dancers, musicians. And I was first introduced to, uh, Ashland because of the Shakespeare Festival. Uh, not uncommon. The high school that I was going to at the time was a pre-conservatory style arts high school where I studied theater. And uh, when I was getting ready to apply for colleges, I had absolutely no idea where I wanted to go. Uh, my dad suggested that I should just go ahead and apply to SOU because they have a wonderful theater program. And I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. Uh, so I did. I got in and into SOU as well as to UC Santa Cruz. But I got the, uh, a, a, it's kind of like a scholarship uh, called the Western Undergraduate Exchange uh, the WUI program, where all these Western states work together to uh, provide discounted tuition to other people from those same Western states. And with that scholarship, it was significantly cheaper, like thousands of dollars a year cheaper for me to go to school in Oregon as an out-of-state student, uh, as opposed to going to school in-state in California. So just looking at that financial aspect that that was the main decision that brought me up here um but you know since moving up here i've been here for 10 years and i just i fell in love with it uh with the scenery with the people and the culture i've made some absolutely wonderful friends here um and it's it's my home now so that's that's how i got here and that's why i stayed Awesome. That's so great, Tommy. That's so great. 
So tell me a little bit about Community Talk with Tommy. How did that start? What What's the idea behind it? What were you thinking? Little, little, little guy from San Francisco coming out to big old Ashland, trying to make a name for himself. Tell us about it. Oh, man. So... I, uh, Community Talk with Tommy was a recent invention, uh, happened after the Almeida fires here in, in the Rogue Valley, uh, which occurred on September 8th, and I was on the phone with, uh, my friend Justin Silva, who is going to be asking a question here soon, uh, our mutual friend. And uh, he was pretty bummed out that day. The fire had just happened. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening around the country and internationally. And um, we were talking about, you know, he life and all this messed up stuff going on. And he asked the question. And Justin, you can feel free to chime in here. Um, but you asked me... To, to tell you something, it's a story that would cheer you up. And the first thing that popped into my mind was the amazing work of the Ashland Bike Brigade, which was in process at that time. Uh, they were very active. It was right after the fire. And just telling that story, um, we realized that it was just a wonderful story and it needed to be told. And we were thinking about mediums to do that. Um, podcasts can be done digitally since we're in the midst of a pandemic. That was pretty important. And, um, we just wanted to, to tell stories of, of our community about all the wonderful people and all the wonderful work that was happening, uh, because there was so much, I mean, people really just over the past several months, you know, in the midst of all this adversity, the pandemic, the wildfire and, you know, subsequent economic depressions and, uh, just a shrinking tax revenue and tax base uh, because of all of it. But but the community has really stepped up and it's been a just an inspiring and beautiful thing to watch. And amidst all the chaos of the world, it was a spot of beauty that, that we really wanted to share with people. And so putting it all in a podcast and letting folks tell their own stories in their own words um, is a way of documenting and uh, immortalizing just some of these really amazing and inspirational stories. I was, I felt very limited in what I could do, but one of the things that I felt able to do was help and share people's stories. And, um, you know, everybody needs storytellers. We've had storytellers for all of human history, and it's an important part of who we are as a people and as a species. And, uh, that we felt capable of doing that and that's what we work to bring into the world. And I appreciate I appreciate you giving folks a voice who may not have it or have any sort of platform to talk about what they're doing in this time of unheard tragedy where, you know, we can't we can't stop those things. And you doing what you did just uh it gives folks like every one of us around here some hope. So, Tommy, thank you. Yeah, and I do appreciate what Austin is saying. Like, this is this has been a really powerful experience. And you know, um, as as 
as the one who kind of was sitting there with you asking for positive stories and um, and honestly, it's something that we do as new teachers is you kind of like what went well today. Um, and so like that was kind of where I was coming from. And that's kind of where my experience drew from that. But I really appreciate everything that you've done. And as far as sharing the positive stories coming out of the Rogue Valley. That being said, all of this started because of the Almeida fire. Um, and I would appreciate it if you could kind of walk me through your experience the day of the fire. Yeah. Um, well, so we, I'm a part owner of a small organic hemp farm here, uh, in Ashland, in North Ashland over, over kind of by freeway exit 19. And, uh, I was supposed to be out there on the farm that day working, repairing, um, a big hoop house that we have, but I need to get lumber and, uh, I don't have a truck, so I needed to rent a truck to transport the lumber. Uh, so I called Home Depot um, to see if I could rent one of their vehicles to, tr- to go buy lumber, rent the vehicle, go transport it to the farm so I could get to work. And the vehicle was rented out at that point. Uh, they don't take reservations. So I was like, okay. Uh, you know, that was earlier in the morning. They said call back around noon. Um and, you know, just kind of hang tight. It should be back around then. Uh, so I was going to be out at the farm uh, if it hadn't been for some other person having rented that vehicle that day. So I was doing some work at, uh, at home, um, kind of just paperwork, office-related type stuff, and uh, in my house in South Ashland. And uh, then <laughs> my... And the, the wind was just... I mean, blowing like violently all morning, just crazy, crazy winds. And uh, I'm signed up for the Ashland Emergency Alert System, and I got a text that said, "Okay, a small fire has started um, down in Quiet Village off of Alameda Street. Be aware. Um, high wind conditions. This is a dangerous scenario. Kind of get get ready in case maybe you need to evacuate." I'm like, okay, well that's concerning tell me about how far is quiet village from the farm uh let's see quiet village is maybe a mile and a half from the farm uh it's on the other side of the freeway and so i got this text and okay that's concerning and then i get a video my partner uh sean who lives out at at the farm sean and and april and their kids uh, sean sends me a video from up on the hillside where one of our fields are where they live um of the plants and the plants are just bent over by the wind i mean totally just laid out on the ground violent wind just pressing them down almost uprooting most of them and then he pans over to look over towards Ashland and there's just this massive plume of black smoke and this orange glow uh, heading right for him. And he texts me right after he sent that video. He goes, hey, uh, might want to double check on our our insurance and crop insurance. Uh, There's a fire coming this way and I think we're going to have to evacuate soon. Um, So... (laughs) 
I was just had a oh shit moment and uh, wanted to get out there, you know, because I mean, it's like you, nobody likes to feel helpless uh, in the midst of emergency situations. You know, everybody just wants to do something. Right. Right. Um, but I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll get on the phone with the insurance and I was talking to the insurance and they weren't going to, they said, well, you better get out there with a tractor and some sprinklers because uh, I don't think anything's going to be covered by your policy. So you should get out there with a tractor and a hose and see if you can start cutting lines and watering down the property sure. to defend the farm. Um, so that was a big oh shit moment. And, you know, I mean, we do have a tractor. We have a tractor. We have a tiller. We had mobile sprinkler systems. We did have the ability in theory, to get out there, try and cut some fire lines, make some defensible space, and, uh, you know, really, really try and save the property. But um, by the time I got off the phone with the insurance, I was trying to call Sean and April. My partner's the ones who lived out there. And at this point, all the phone lines are jammed. A lot of calls aren't going through. Um, and I couldn't get a hold of them. I couldn't get a hold of them. I start texting them like, hey, should I head out there? Like, can I help, you know, because, uh, again, like you don't, nobody wants to be helpless in the face of an emergency and, and, you know, the farm is our, our livelihood and it was like, okay, well the insurance isn't going to cover this. So we need to go out there and we need to try and protect our livelihood and see what we can do to defend the property. Um, unfortunately the winds were blowing so fast uh, that by the time I was trying to get a hold of Sean and April, ha after having talked to the insurance company, um, they were already evacuating. Sean had been driving around, notifying all the neighbors on the road, like, hey, there's a fire coming, everybody needs to get up and go. And uh, so I was trying to get in contact with them. They're in the midst of evacuating, and this fire is coming over the hillside, already caught all the neighbors' houses on the other side of the hill on fire it's spreading kind of in all directions with these 40 mile per hour pretty constant winds you know up to 60 miles per hour that day and uh it just there wasn't anything anyone could do um i was trying to go out there and my partners were telling me to you know the roads were closed they couldn't really evacuate the fire department wasn't letting them go anywhere um because they didn't know which way the fire was going, so they got stranded out there, and uh, I was trying to go, and they told me not to, which was the right decision, uh, because I probably wouldn't have been able to get there anyways, and so then I just sat and waited, uh, and was trying to get in contact with anyone I knew who worked in fire um, to see if they had more current updates on the situation, because... Uh, the county website was totally lacking in terms of current updates. Uh, everything was moving so fast, it was just almost impossible to to keep on top of, of, you know, the current situation, what was happening. And so it was this really terrible feeling of helplessness, just sitting there and waiting and um, calling neighbors and trying to get whatever information I could. And at this point, they had closed down uh, I-5, and traffic was starting to pile up in Ashland over by my house. There were semi-trucks going.
going all the way up Highway 99 through town, parked on the side of the road. And uh, it it was it was crazy you know and and what we didn't know at that point was that the fire that ultimately burned our farm um and all of our neighbors houses or most of them uh that was only a very small piece of the fire and the main fire was already moving well on and into talent uh so i didn't realize that but my roommate and i was figured hey maybe we can try and get up to some high ground and uh see what's what's going on so we drove up to the top of park street and uh met a a guy who had some binoculars up there and we were standing up on on park street and the field over by the freeway by the truck stop the way station we were watching that totally on fire flames moving towards the truck stop several houses already having burnt down smoke coming from across the freeway and I look to the left north where Talon is and over this I couldn't see a fire any flames at that point but just over the ridge line just massive plumes of of black smoke and uh so had you heard from Sean in April at this point yeah I like if I, if I'm on Park Street and I'm looking that way I'm looking for the farm and so I would be worried, like, if you're just seeing black smoke, like, what were you thinking? Like, were you, what, what did you know? So I wasn't seeing any huge plumes of smoke from, uh, from over where the farm is at that point. The fire had mostly burned and, and, and been stopped and burnt out. The large flames and the thing, you know, stuff that was burning the structures. So I had a little bit of hope <laughs> at that point that, oh, maybe it spared the farm. It was really difficult to get in contact, uh, and mostly what I got was, hey, we're safe, and we got to go. Okay, so that was the most important thing. Okay, everybody's safe. Everybody is in a safe place, and uh, then we're kind of communicating back and forth, trying to continue to deal with insurance stuff, and, uh, and... then I got a text and a picture from April. It said, our house burned down, dot, 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 um, with the, like, shocked emoji. And uh, sure enough, it was just, like, the whole livable part of the farm was gone. The house and the our shipping container, the floor caught on fire. I didn't know this till later, but floor caught on fire and all of our inventory in there was totally incinerated it got so hot that it melted the deadbolts and blew the door open uh, all the wow. trees the field caught on fire um and we were trying to figure out if i was trying to figure out if our if the we had a llama and two alpacas out there and trying to figure out if they were safe and, and thankfully they they were they made it out of there the sprinklers got turned on and they hung out in a nice green patch of grass and made it out okay. Um, but yeah, it was it was super stressful. <laughs> like yeah, okay, and and then you kind of you you come to a point where you are trying to prepare yourself for the worst. Um, you know, we saw this black smoke. I saw this black smoke. Like, okay, clearly houses and structures are burning, lots of them. Hopefully there aren't people in those right now, but we didn't, I didn't know at that point. 
So this whole thing of, okay, is this going to be a mass casualty incident? How many people are going to die here today having suffocated or burned to death? I don't know. Die in car accidents trying to flee the situation. I don't know. Is our business totally burnt to the ground? Is this fire going to make it all the way to Medford and burn our other facility over there? I don't know. We didn't, we didn't know, uh, we didn't know anything for most of that, most of that day. And, uh, I think that was the toughest part for me was the, the unknown, the uncertainty and the understanding that this is a huge disaster, terrible disaster in the middle of a pandemic and just having no way of knowing how it's all going to shake out and uh, having no real way to get out and do anything to help at that point either because everything was, all the roads were closed down, all traffic was closed. And it was just a sit and wait and see if you get told to evacuate situation. So I packed a go bag and, you know, because we didn't know if the winds were going to shift at that point. Um, everybody just had to be ready to go. And the unfortunate thing about Ashland and, and really like Ashland, Talent and Phoenix is like there aren't many routes in and out of town. There's basically two. You can follow the freeway north or south and that's kind of it unless you have a good four-wheel drive vehicle to get up into the forest roads so it it was um it was a potentially really terrible situation i mean it would have been very easy for folks to get trapped and thank goodness that that people didn't thank goodness people were able to get out of there um but yeah it was you know, so that, that evening I was just kind of by myself and people were texting me like, Oh, is the farm okay? And stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I think it all burnt. And, uh, but I don't really know. I don't know what's going on over there. I can't really get a hold of anybody. And, uh, I went over to my friend Max's house, uh, for dinner that evening. And, and, you know, they had a live feed, uh, the news had set up a, a camera on top of the Rogue Valley Manor and they had a live feed uh, going with the police scanner and uh, as the audio for it. And there's, you know, we would, had it going. Their, their internet was still working. My internet had gone out um, along with a lot of other people's. And I just, there was this moment where I was sitting there and we were watching it was night at this point, it was dark, and we we're watching this live feed, and the camera panned all the way from North Ashland all the way to South Medford in one shot, and everything was on fire. Literally everything that you could see was burning, and it was flames, and there were flashing emergency lights, and the scanner, the dispatch... You know, people kept calling in like, hey, we need more resources here. We need more trucks here. We need more personnel here. There's a person, you know, we got we got a call that somebody's screaming in this house. We got here. Nobody's here. We can't find anyone. We got to move on. And uh, it was just like this moment of like, <laughs> uh, sh 
shock at the fa- at, at, at really like coming to the understanding that like our emergency resources were totally maxed out. There was no help. Like they were doing what they could, but they were overwhelmed. And you know, people were asking for help, and no help could come. And it it was a really sobering realization uh, about our limits as a society and our ability to cope with things on a on a on a disaster type scale like that um and that that was pretty much it we ate dinner and i went home had a go bag didn't sleep hardly at all that night was waiting for the text to say that it was time for us to evacuate it never came and uh Gave it another day before I went out to the farm, and that was that. That was that day. Wow, Tommy. Thank you for sharing. I uh, really thank you for sharing. I remember I listened to the scanner all night that night. I obviously didn't have a firsthand experience like you, but I remember the most sobering moment for me is on that scanner when they're like, we got to fall back. We're letting this whole mobile park home go. Yeah. It was like, this is this is really happening in our valley. Um, and I'm so grateful that Sean and April and you were all okay, that you weren't at the farm that day. But thank you for sharing, really. Um, so the fire now has been months ago at this point. I mean, we're literally in the, like, it was a good chunk of time ago now in pandemic land, right? Time has no meaning, but it's still been a while. Um, so what are some of the problems that people in the valley are currently facing, like right now? Yeah, um, there are, there's a lot of issues. Uh, so of course there's the fire related stuff. Uh, a lot of people who still don't have stable living situations, uh, warm living situations. Uh, you know, there was, there was a pretty huge housing, housing shortage before the fire, especially for affordable housing for folks with lower incomes. And, and now it's, it's, uh, incredibly acute so that's i mean that's number one first and foremost in my mind uh but you know we're we're in the middle of a pandemic too and have been for months and in ashland we have a heavily tourist-based economy so at the same time that we need resources to help our community help rebuild and and lift people back up that's the same time that fewer resources are coming in. And, you know, luckily, thankfully, it was declared a, a disaster zone at the state and federal levels. And so we've had help from FEMA and the Red Cross, and that's been amazing for a lot of folks. But, um, you know, people, people were already losing business, shuttering their doors before this fire. So... Not only are there a lot of homeless people, but there's fewer businesses open, fewer, less work available for folks to to jump into, to start earning some money, to help get get themselves back on their feet. Um, and, you know, we're, in addition to all that, tourism, big part of the economy, agriculture, other significant part of our economy, between hemp and grapes for wine and pears, uh, we we grow a lot of the money in this valley comes from the agricultural sector and we've been in prolonged drought conditions for years now 
which is in part what helped exacerbate the fire. Uh, the zero percent humidity, along with the high winds, everything is super dry. And uh, I, you know, personally, am concerned about uh, our access to water over the over the coming years. Uh, specifically for agricultural purposes. I don't know if there's going to be enough of it. Uh, we have been getting some rain over the last couple of weeks, thankfully, but haven't really gotten the snow that I know a lot of folks have been hoping for. Uh, it's just the end of December right now. We have two more months, hopefully, to have that happen. But um, yeah, those are those are some of the issues for sure. Yeah. Drought, homelessness and a shrinking tax base. And, uh, and of course, like a lack of work and housing. Oh, Hillary. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, that's something I'm very happy to talk about. There have been just like so many incredible stories. Uh, a lot of them we've covered on this podcast. A lot of them we haven't. But, um, you know, everything from people giving out free haircuts in the mall parking lot to fire victims immediately after the fire to the amazing uh, just like mutual aid stations that popped up where people can come and get you know supplies like water food hygienic stuff pretty much anything you might need for free um there were several of those initially in in the early days and now it's all been consolidated over in phoenix at the shops off exit 24 um and you know there's been a, a big uh collaboration between lots of different organizations to keep keep that going and 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 make that happen um you know rogue climate and uh, the Rogue Action Center, among them, the uh, Ashland Bike Brigade, which ended up merging with the, uh, I think they're the Rogue Volunteer Initiative. Um, there's been uh, an amazing program that we haven't been able to cover yet called Rogue Food Unites. And uh, essentially, you know, a lot of the restaurants are doing less business. Some of them are closed because of the pandemic. And so folks... Uh, went and, and organized a lot of these restaurants and chefs uh, to cook and deliver free meals. And they've like cooked and delivered like probably like tens of thousands of meals for free at this point, if not more. And they're dropping them off at the distribution centers. They're dropping them off at uh, people's hotels. You know, fire victims are staying in, in hotels. They don't have access to kitchens. And they're just getting like free hot meals delivered straight to their doors, which is just like super amazing. Um, everything that happened and has been happening with, uh, you know, El Tapatio and Yehida, uh, they don't really have a organization at this point, but, but, you know, they've managed to help hundreds of families, uh, and they're continuing to move forward and help folks throughout the winter. Uh, they're just getting done with a big, 
like a gift drive for kids for for Christmas, uh, which just passed. You know, for fire victims and getting getting gifts together for folks, which has just been really amazing to see. Um, everything happening with, you know, the SOESD, the Southern Oregon uh, School Extension School. Hillary, what do you you know? You're a teacher. What is that actual acronym? <laughs> Southern Oregon Education Service District, yes. Uh, they've been doing a lot of great work working with kids and their families. Um, the Mi Valle Mi Hogar, the My Valley My Home project, uh, is continuing to operate, continuing to organize ways to build new housing that, that folks can, can buy into and, and eventually become owners of. Um, the longer-term, secure, short-term housing effort is continuing to operate, uh, finding folks, you know, medium to long-ish term housing, taking houses that are, you know, up for sale on the market or vacation homes and, and getting folks in there. Um, there's just there's just so much, really. I know, like, the faith community here has been doing a tremendous amount of work. We haven't interviewed any of them yet, really, but a lot of the... Uh, you know, churches and synagogues and folks have really stepped up to, to help people and provide aid. Um, the emergency services, you know, the sheriffs and police and fire have all done a great job of working together. Uh, and, you know, it's, again, it, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so all this stuff has been really tricky to navigate. Uh, but, you know, like in Talent, for example, they've been having a lot of virtual city council meetings to update residents on what's going on, get them access to FEMA and Red Cross resources, uh, inform them about cleanup efforts. And those have been incredibly well attended with, you know, two, 300 people um, tuning into these meetings, which I don't know if any, if you guys are, or if any of our listeners have ever gone to a city council meeting locally here, but usually there's maybe like 20 people there. So uh, that's been really cool to see. And the fact that uh, pretty much everyone, all of those organizations have uh, translators now, people that, that can translate everything that's happening into Spanish, um, which is not something that was in place before the fires happened. So that's a new development that m I think most everyone has adopted at this point, which is a huge step forward for our community and enfranchising community members who otherwise didn't didn't have the full access that a lot of us did. Um, yeah, what else? I mean, it's a lot. The community's been coming together in, in all sorts of ways. Um, a lot of businesses donating part or all of their proceeds to fire relief stuff. Uh, Dutch Bros, which is basically a local business here. I think their headquarters is in Grants Pass. Maybe they just donated like $280,000 to fire relief efforts recently. Um, so if you like coffee, go get a coffee from Dutch Bros because they're taking care of the community. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, some of the stuff. The 
The re-greening of the Greenway project has been a super cool thing to see. Uh, so the fire, the path of the fire, basically followed the Greenway, which runs parallel to the freeway and uh, Bear Creek, burnt all these trees and all this kind of vegetation forested area. And before the winter, there was a big concern that we needed to re-green it so that there wasn't a tremendous amount of erosion there going into Bear Creek. Um, and they've had like tons of volunteers out there planting. Um, they had a helicopter flying over a while back, just like dumping seed, uh, like massive, massive efforts to, to get that reforested and, and green again. Um, and like the list just could go on really like the way that people have not only taken in one another, but taken in each other's pets and livestock, uh, provided each other with places to stay and food to eat. It, it's, uh, it's been amazing. So to, to do what Austin would call a freestyle, um, building off of what you said, Tommy, do you think that there's any, anything that we've learned since the fire that might be more permanent as far, as far as like a form of change from this? Like, is there something that we've, you know, gotten since the fire that you think is going to be something that we do consistently? Like maybe the translators at the city council meetings or having zoom access available and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think both of those are going to become permanent installations. Um, having the translators, having digital access, in Ashland, I know they already kind of did have, dig I think they would live stream their meetings in the past, but it wasn't, definitely wasn't interactive like Zoom can be where you can submit questions and things. Um, in, in terms of other permanent changes, it's hard to say, honestly. A lot of space is being used right now as like long-term temporary uh, housing where like people can park like RVs and stuff and trailers and who knows how that's going to uh, change moving forward uh, of course there are the permanent changes of loss uh, like a lot of you know great businesses who have been members of the community for a long time burned down and a lot of them aren't going to be rebuilding um so that's a sad change. But I think that, of course, like, I, you know, I, I, I can't read the future. I'm not a fortune teller. And so really, I don't know. And anything I say could be totally wrong. But I think that it will leave us with a lasting sense of having a stronger community uh, because I think everyone's aware like the last several years in our country have been like very politically divisive and a lot of folks are being pushed in opposite directions and it, it seems like it's harder to find middle ground but um, one of the outcomes of a disaster like this one of the positive outcomes is that people kind of put those things aside for a while and uh focus on on seeing the person in front of them and not the 
not the political views. Um, and, you know, again, we've had issues with that. I mean, they've, uh, you know, like a young man uh, I mentioned in one of the episodes a while back was recently shot here and um, relations between police and the community and specifically people of color in the community uh, have been tense. I know that they're trying to work on it. Uh, they've been having meetings where folks can talk to all the heads of law enforcement. Uh, th those have been a recurring thing. I think that will probably continue. Uh, totally has nothing to do with the fires, but I think that will become a permanent kind of dialogue. I hope so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just uh, the sense of resilience and uh, com community strength, I think, will be something that lasts here for a while moving forward. Thank you. Um, so you've talked a little bit about this already, but just to kind of, you know, to really drive the point home, what are some of the issues that we didn't cover this season? Or what are some of the groups that we didn't cover this season that you feel like, um, if we had more time, um, or maybe we'll, we'll do, you know, bonus episodes in the future. Like, what are some of the things that you'd want to look at? Yeah. So, uh, first and foremost, I think I would definitely like to talk to some of the people who are organizing, Rogue Food Unites. Uh, I, I'm sure they're incredibly busy cooking people meals all the time, but uh, that's a story that I'd love to capture and record and share with everybody because uh, it's a great one. And on top of that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to talk with the sheriff, I think, at some point, if I can, Sheriff Sickler. I'd like to talk to uh, maybe one of the county commissioners uh, specifically about uh, disaster plans moving forward. You know, we, we spoke with the Ashland police chief, Ty O'Mara, and he said that he'll be managing the new Ashland, uh, disaster evacuation plan. But, uh, I'm curious about more broadly coordinated efforts throughout the Valley. And so in my mind, that's the County level. And I'd really like to talk to some of those officials at some point, uh, about what's going on there. I think, there's probably a lot of great stories in the uh, community of faith here locally. A lot of work that they've been doing that we haven't had a chance to touch on yet. Um, I'd really like to talk to the people who have been in charge of the regreening the Greenway. Again, I think that's a, a really interesting story and it, it's something that can shed a lot of light on uh, on on natural cycles here and, and our ecology um, and environmental restoration efforts, uh, which is super interesting. I'd, I'd really love to talk to some of the folks, and it's a whole collaboration uh, of organizations who are in charge of this or deal with it, but the folks who are in charge of maintaining the Ashland watershed, uh, they do a great job. If you go and hike on the trails behind Ashland, um, any of the Wonderland trails, uh, you'll see that the forest is really, really well taken care of. A lot, All the brush, for the most part, has been cleared. They have burn piles going all the time, lots of controlled burns. Um, and they've managed to do a great job with that. I'd also like to talk to... Um, 
some of the folks down at the Jackson County Expo who were in charge of organizing that whole space because that was the main evacuation point for a lot of people um, during and, and after the fires. And I think a lot of people are still out there, honestly, in, in trailers and stuff. But they were there dealing with people and livestock and pets and trying to coordinate all sorts of stuff. Um, so I think that would be something really, really great uh, to cover. And I'd also like to talk to uh, some of the folks in the uh, Talent Phoenix School District um, and see how they're doing and how their kids are doing, because so many of the kids, I mean, it was already like an incredibly tough year with the pandemic. I think we, we all know, and both, you know, y'all, y'all are teachers. So I know you guys have firsthand experience with how difficult it's been trying to teach remotely. Um, and then on top of that, you know, they're dealing with something like 50% of their students now being homeless, thanks to the fire. And so just, um, ways for for dealing with that ways that people can help uh i think would would also be a great subject to cover so there's there's some <laughs> there's a few um oh and you know like a couple a couple other groups i guess that i'd like to get in there as well uh would be you know our elderly population uh there is a large population of retirees here a lot of uh older folks a lot of older folks that were living in in the mobile home parks that burned down um hearing from them about their experiences and their opportunities moving forward uh they're you know members of our community that maybe we don't see quite as much because they're not quite as mobile or out and about but they're definitely here um and you know maybe talking to even uh some some like assisted living center folks about okay dealing with the pandemic and then having the fire in the middle of a pandemic and you know plans for moving forward in the event that there's another emergency situation like that uh you know and we we mentioned uh the the ashland or the talent phoenix school district and how a lot of those kids are homeless and and you know we also know that uh most homeless youth also tend to be members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe trying to find some folks, uh, in that world and, and get their stories about being, you know, a queer young person in Southern Oregon and what that's like. Cause I'm sure that it can be pretty difficult for a lot of people. Um, Possibly some of the uh, some of the the Black Lives Matter organizers here locally. Um, they've been very active and have met with a lot of hate. On I was gonna say resistance, but there's like a lot of hate that's been thrown at them. And and so seeing how they've they've managed to continue to operate amidst everything. Um, I'd be interested also to talk to some folks at OSF because they've been very involved with the fire relief efforts, helping coordinate and house uh, supplies. And, you know, they're not open. And I don't think they'll be open 
in 2021. Um, so, and they're a huge part of our community here in Ashland, local institution, bring lots of money to the region. So I would be interested to, uh, to talk to them as well. I mean, there's so many. We have like such a great and diverse community here. You know, it's like community talk with Tommy. So it's so many stories to tell. I don't know if we'll ever have enough time to tell them all, but uh, we can try. <laughs> Quick shout out to all of our listeners that did send us, you know, people to interview and things like that. Uh, keep sending them in. We do appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully we can get get talking to everybody that you know you all have sent through so you know don't forget hit up the facebook page or instagram um let us know what you think and let us know about the other cool things that are going on in the community definitely okay tommy this is your podcast so uh you know we're big on self-care here so in times of (laughs) immense stress like having all your crops burned down or uh you know, deciding to start a podcast with no prior experience or, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. What do you do to take care of yourself? Um, well, Hillary, thanks for that question. Turning the tables. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I personally for self-care, I mean, of course, like everybody can be better at it. I know I can be better at it. Um. But I think the biggest things that I do for self-care are spending time with some of my great friends uh, and having the ability to, to just hang out and, and talk through things. Um, having somebody to talk to is, is very important. Um, I can't afford a professional to talk to, so... Thankfully, I have great friends that are great listeners. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a big one. Uh, I've been exercising in the mornings, going for runs, and uh, that's that's been really nice for my mental health, just getting out early. I mean, it's been dark still, but it's really beautiful. Like this morning, there was a full moon coming up, and it was just like massive and orange, and there was like a little bit of clouds in front of it, just beautiful, super quiet out still. Everything was glistening with frost. Um, meditating, I am a big uh, proponent of meditation, and you know, there's lots of lots of different styles that you can uh, practice. But, um, you know, whatever one works, works for you, I, I have my own routine that I go through and it's, it's super helpful. Just like helping me identify points of stress and just try to like, let those go. Um, so, cause if, if I don't, <laughs> then oftentimes I'll be, you know, hypercritical of, of myself and be dwelling on uh, mistakes and missteps, things that I wish I had done differently, uh, questionable decisions. And, uh, you know, it's not, I mean, it's important to learn from those things, but it's not healthy to dwell on them. And so my meditative practice definitely, uh, helps me move on and, and let go of a lot of that stuff. Um, I play music. I'm a musician and, play the violin I play in lots of different bands and and write songs as well um and and doing that uh really really just like speaks to my soul and 
when I'm focused on music, I'm not thinking about anything else. And uh, it can be inspiring and rejuvenating and, and just so much fun. Uh, so, uh, yeah, music and exercise, meditation, hanging out with friends and and getting outside in nature is also like one of my favorite activities and one of the reasons why I love this area so much uh, because we're totally surrounded by public lands absolutely just gorgeous forests and mountains streams just a tremendous amount of biodiversity with the convergence of these three mountain ranges and um, getting out in nature away from the concrete and people and just getting out into the trees um, does wonders for for my mental health all right tommy last question do you have any tips or suggestions for people during this time well yeah i mean i i I suppose now more than ever it's important to make the effort to stay in touch with people and call your friends call your family call your loved ones stay in contact uh because with all of the stressors of daily life compounded by this pandemic which really is i mean some people are introverts and like really love being alone i'm not one of those people um and it can feel very isolating and it's important to check in with people regularly, I think, um, and to talk, you know, if you can't see them in person, maybe you can zoom or FaceTime or whatever. Um, but just, just staying in touch with folks and, and, uh, I guess the last thing would, for our community here is that moving forward as, uh, we heal and rebuild from this fire, uh, I would just, encourage folks to not forget the lessons that we learned from it and to never forget the sense of community and mutual aid and support that arose out of those ashes because it's been a absolutely beautiful thing and it's it's something that I'll remember forever and and I hope that we can carry that forward and carry that spirit forward for the rest of our lives because we'll be better for it. You just heard me, your host, Tommy Letchworth, on the receiving end of the questions for once, which honestly has been pretty fun. If you'd like to support the work that we're involved in, please continue to listen, subscribe, share, and review the podcast. We sincerely hope that the series has been as informative, entertaining, and inspiring for you, our listeners, as it has been for us on the production team. Most importantly, if you really want to support this venture, find a way to go and support some of the people and organizations who have been kind enough to sit down and talk with me over the course of this show. You can find their information on our Facebook page, or if you like, you can get in touch with us directly, either through the Facebook page or through our email, communitytalkwithtommy at gmail.com. If you have other people, organizations, or stories that you'd like us to focus on in future episodes, please, please, please send them our way. And with that, our first season is concluded. It's been fun. And before I sign off, I just want to say be sure to stay tuned for bonus episodes, which we'll be recording and releasing periodically. 
Community Talk with Tommy is produced by Justin Silva, Austin Roberts, Hillary Wallace, and myself, with the help of our creative consultant, Max Goldman. I'm your host, Tommy Letchworth, and if you like what you heard, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on most other platforms where podcasts can be found. Find us on Facebook at Community Talk with Tommy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This episode of Community Talk with Tommy is brought to you by Mansplaining. Are you an educated, well-spoken woman who knows her shit but can't get a word in edgewise? Do all of your ideas get co-opted by your co-workers with facial hair? Do you- No, 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 hell, hell. We, we can't sell mansplaining to women. Mansplaining only works if we sell it to men, duh. So it, it should be more like, are you tired of not being respected at work? Are your ideas not getting the traction you feel they deserve? Are there subjects such as World War II fighter jets that you think everyone needs to know a lot more about? Well, then do we have a product for you. Mansplaining, the easiest way to feel good about mediocre accomplishments. See, see that? That's funny. Awesome. Thank, thanks a lot, Justin. Anytime, Hill. Thank you.